So here's what we're going to teach about. How about that? That is, Gary Bacon, is that just a spectacle right there? <laughs> He's a carpenter. I am not. I'm a stonemason. So I'm going to explain to you what that is in a minute. Um, so, uh, you know, the last couple of weeks, Pat has been preaching um, in particular about uh, marriage and also uh, submission. Um, not so much to each other, but more importantly, to God. You know, sub- submitting our hearts to him. And I didn't uh, hear all of Pat's second message, but I was in here for Pat's first message. And, you know, Holy Spirit was really pressing into me uh, just the word um, covenant. I'm like, well, you know, what, I understand what a covenant is, you know, but how does that really relate to me? So I started pressing in on it. You know, I started praying about it and meditating on it. And I really didn't expect it to come to this, you know. But this is where it led me. It led me to this building, this structure. Um, and it really, it's, a, it's actually, it led me to a Jewish wedding ceremony. I think it's really interesting, too, that Jesus, this first miracle was done at a wedding ceremony, right? He turned the water to wine. Um, so there's a value placed there uh, in a wedding. Um, and what started out as kind of a history lesson, you know, ended up being something really relevant uh, and really important. Um, so, you know, I'm just going to start where the whole wedding starts. You know, in those times, 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, even sometimes now, it starts between two fathers, the father of the, of the bride, the father of the groom. And they have this private meeting. In this meeting, they talk about the possibility of maybe their two kids getting together and, and actually being married. You know, and I can just imagine those discussions. You know, I mean, anybody that's ever talked to somebody that's interested in dating their kid, you know, much less marrying them. I mean, I'm sure it went something like this. You know, uh, how are you going to take care of her? What's your job? What's your, uh, what's your character? Um, where are you planning to live? You know, these are all important things. Uh, what's your future like? Where do you see yourself in 20 years? You know, are you going to give me a grandkid? <laughs> you know, that would be important things. And for, for some, it would be, what's your lineage, lineage of boys? You know, because back in those days, you know, they really wanted the family name to carry on. Um, so I, I'm sure it's probably some heated talk or heated conversation too. But if they did come to an agreement that yeah, these two families would work together, then it would it would proceed to a glass of wine, a cup of wine, where the bride or the uh, the groom to be would actually offer it to the daughter of this this father, and if she accepted it. At that point, then, the wedding would be proposed. That was, the, that was the engagement, was a glass of wine. But here's where it gets interesting, you know. Now, you would think that right away it would be planned. The wedding would just be planned. The date would be set. But there was so much more to it than that. And I thought this was one of the most interesting things was the very first thing that had to happen after the bride accepted that she would marry this boy would be that he had to provide with her a house a place to live. 
So, you know, just like I'm sure back in those days, they had all the, all the boys had lots of money. <laughs> Probably not. Right? So instead what they would do is they would build a room onto their parents' house. And it would be under the supervision of the father, of the groom. And it would take up to a year or more to build this. And he would build it, and that would be part of the courting process. Now, I think when I build things, uh, and I'll give a great example. When I built, uh, as our first baby, Chelsea, she was the one on keyboards. Um, She had a crib, or Chris and I, we went to the baby shop, you know, and ordered a crib and a changing table. And they said, well, for 50 bucks, we'll deliver and set that up. And Kristen says, we need to do that. And I said, I'm not paying $50 to assemble it. And she looked at me. She goes, Christopher, I do not want you swearing at our baby's crib or changing table. I think she's prophetic, you know. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So I think about, though, you know, when I'm building something, you know, Chris is like, you're really quiet when you're making something. I said, yeah, that's because I'm concentration. Yeah, but you don't talk to me. I said, well, that's how I am. So, you know, (laughs) we've had a lot of discussions, I'll just call them, based on that. So when you're working, you know, the good, I put down here, the good, bad, and the ugly come out, you know. And I'm sure that whole year-long or year-and-a-half-long process was like that. And when the father finally gave the nod of approval, it was like stamping it that you have built something good enough that will honor our name and add honor to your bride-to-be's name. You've built her something that's worthy of her. And I think that's dramatic, you know. So now everything's in place. You know, the fathers have got together. She accepted the proposal. They've built this, this addition uh, to the house. That's been approved by the husband, or by the father, I should say. So now they can set a date. So they, they do their guest list. Now, the guest list, you know. <laughs> I think of our guest list, you know, and I think of writing down about eight or nine, 10, 15, 20 things, you know, that I'd be interested in. And then giving it to Kristen and have Kristen doing the rest of it. That's kind of how our whole wedding thing went, you know. So um, I'm sure they had to do that sort of thing. But, but here's where it gets a little different. They would, uh, they would have their guest list. They'd invite everybody. And then their whole town would show up. You know, it had the typical things, though. They had to say when, where, where at, like, uh, you know, the day, the time of day. Um, you know, what officials were going to be invited. Um, how about your favorite rabbi? I guess they probably had a favorite rabbi, favorite teacher that they would in- invite. Maybe they didn't invite the one that they didn't, weren't so fond of. I don't know. But, um, but, they would, but they would pick out the decorations and the music, you know. You know, can you imagine the, just the, the music back then, you know. It would have been really interesting. But they had all the, the loose ends squared away. And then they would gather for the ceremony. And this is where the bride and groom would actually enter. This is called, it's spelled like chupa, but it's actually called a hoopa. Um, So not a chalupa, right? It's not a beefy burrito thing. It's actually a hoopa. Um, And it's really interesting. It's, It's built on purpose like this, to have all four walls wide open, um, to have just 
a covering over the top. And they would stand under this. The bride and groom would stand right here. Whether or not they faced each other or not, I don't know. But they would stand under here. The rabbi would stand in front. And the whole town would gather around. It said that after they got married that these weddings would carry on for two or three days, a week, a week and a half, just the celebration of it. That's how much the Jewish culture valued a wedding. So then I started looking at it, and I said, okay, it's a hoopah. Well, what the heck is that thing up on top, you know? And that's actually a prayer shawl. So the hoopah is actually just the wood structure, the top, is a prayer shawl. And that would, would have been from a number of different things. It would have been from the family, maybe the bride, maybe the groom. Maybe it was, uh, it, nowadays, they assemble um, tapestries. So they'll give every, kind of like a quilt, they would assemble uh, squares. They'd give them out to families that, that uh, were married, you know, and they inscribe a scripture, and then they'd sew it all together, and then they would drape it over the hoopah, and then they would get married under that. That's what they still do. But in our case, it's, it's a piece of linen, um, and it has a lot of Hebrew on it. Um, th- and, you know, and each one of them would be personalized. This one here is kind of unique because it has a scripture. It's Jeremiah 32, verse 14. And it says here, uh, the, Almighty, or the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says... Take both this sealed deed and this unsealed copy, put them in a pottery jar, and preserve them for a long time. So as you get married under this, he's saying all the documents would be sealed under this prayer show. So what, what does that mean? Well, this, this represents the covering of God. That's what this means. This represents God when he came down on Mount Sinai. And delivered the Ten Commandments. This is his presence. Now they signed two different things here though. They signed both the legal and the marriage vows. Were all performed under here. You know. And I think back to my wedding. And I took my wedding serious. But did I really. You know. Did I really entrust it to God? Did I really acknowledge it? And I can. I can really. Uh be honest and just say no. You know, it was just a process to get through. And, and how many of us were married under those so, same stipulations? And I always thought that this is kind of funny. Was I always thought that marriage, uh, like renewing of marriage vows, I thought they were kind of tacky. You know, I'm like, dude, you already did it once. That's a whole day that you can go hunt or fish. Uh, Kristen's like, yeah, that's right. That's right. So um, so anyway, so there, there's some scripture that goes with this too. Um, Genesis, and you guys can look this up later or now if you want, but Genesis 12 uh, verses 1 through 3 um, talks about uh, the covering of Abram before he was Abraham. You know, it blesses the family. It tells him that he's going to build great nations through his family. That's a real common scripture to be read under one of these. And also uh, Exodus 19 that talks about Moses going up to, to Mount Sinai and God's covering coming down like a cloud of fire. And how only Moses and Abraham, or Moses and Aaron were allowed to go up 
and they set boundaries that you could not go any further than that or else you'd be killed. So it's those things that people get married under. Um, when I first heard of a hoopah, I remembered, uh, anybody saw um, the show, um, was The Parents? What's the one called? They Meet the Parents? That, that was his hoopah. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? That was actually it. it was, he said he, he, it was huge. It was like three times the size, size of this, right? He said he carved it out of one piece of redwood, and it only took him 40 hours. <laughs> Right, so, so this took me a whole 35 minutes. It's nice. It kind of looks like it too, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> so, so anyways, so, um, so I think, though, when I look at this, though, I think, you know, how, how it doesn't matter if you're, if you're single or if you're married, you know, the covenant that God gives you that he wants you to be under is so big and so strong and so valid and so relevant that sometimes it takes a movie like that or God speaking to your heart to actually see how important something like this really is, you know. Um, I, I wrote down one thing here. It says, You know, it's, I'll just read what I put. It staggers me, largely as people rack years of marriage behind them, they, that they find themselves further apart. They stop knowing each other. They stop liking each other. They certainly stop loving each other. The things that you once cherished are now overlooked and, the long forgot, and are long forgotten, much like the I do part of a wedding, you know. One thing that they do um, nowadays, at least, I don't know how long they've did this, but they actually, they'll break a glass. And that glass represents, you know, kind of like a ship. It, it christens the marriage. But it also has, has another meaning, too. It talks about how fragile a marriage is. You know, how much work a marriage is. And it is work. But it has such a great outcome. Um, another thing about it, too, is that it's wide open. And it's empty. When this is positioned, there's nothing around but just the bride and groom. And it represents a house. It actually represents the house of Abram. You know, he was desolate. He didn't have any possessions. And that's what this represents. No furniture here. No things here. Just people. In the Jewish culture, family matters. It's the most important thing. It's far above any possession that you could ever have, anything that you could ever keep. Family is what matters. So, so it's all stripped off. And it talks about Aaron's tent, or uh, Abram's tent being wide open for all the community to see. The hospitality is a big deal. They get married in front of thousands of people for a reason because they're declaring something sacred, something holy, but they're also inviting other people to see that they're married, to see the covenant that they've chosen under God, to see what it means to them and how they're going to live their life. I think it's, it's just an awesome representation of what God expects from us. As I was kind of going through my head, you know, and I was 
thinking on it, and it didn't take long. <laughs> you figure Kristen was like that. About five minutes, about all it took. But uh, a couple of things, you know, I was, re- you know, I was throwing the word cherish around, and especially love, you know. When we think of our, our spouses or our kids, you know, we, we think of uh, encompassing love, you know, and, and how the best way I can describe it is Bailey. You know, Bailey, I was working on a job site when I got a call. He was like two and a half, three years old. And Kristen called me to tell me that his diagnosis just came back, you know, and he, he, was, he had uh, autism. And I remember it, it literally crushed me, you know. And, I, you know, I, I'm a stonemason, so I was working on a wall. And the, the owner came up and I just couldn't leave, you know. I had to finish my work. And through the tears, I mean, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't function. I mean, I had to, and I had to push through it. And all I remembered was just praying, Lord, you know, just on my way home, just take me. You know, my life for my boys. Because in that one moment, you know, I lost Little League. You know, I lost, you know, uh, being a grandfather of his kids, you know. I felt like it all just got stripped away, just like that. But then I realized, you know, that that's how I treat my wife, though, or I try to, is that love that you have. I think we miss out on that. You know, I die for my wife, I die for my kids. And, you know, it's a hard question, like, People that aren't married yet, you know, would that boy die for you or would that girl die for you? You know, will you die for them? You know, as I was going through this, I'm like, you know, I really don't have a whole bunch of scriptures here, you know, but it's scripture laden. It really is. Because Christ died for us, right? A um, couple of scriptures that just came to mind when I was writing it was John fourteen two and in my father's house there are many rooms if it were not so I would have told you and I'm going there in advance to prepare a place for you you know just like the boy building the room you know God builds a room for us and it's up there waiting for us I got eight kids, it better be a big room. Or six. Oh boy. <laughs> that is not a prophetic word. That is not. I promise you. I hope so. <laughs> or not. What the heck? Oh, you just never know. I thought I was done at two. I thought I, I didn't even know if I was gonna have kids. I got six. Go figure. Oh. How about Job? Job fourteen, verse seventeen. My offenses will be sealed up in a bag. And you will and you will cover over all my sin. Just like the prayer shawl. You know, it covers it all. Or John 3.23, I love this one. This is, you know, Jesus. He says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. You know, I remember being, uh, just standing up at my buddy's wedding and he asked me to be the best man, you know. And... You know, I get some really sound advice from one of my friends that said, hey, 
You know, I know that you want that guy to be your best man, but that is not necessarily the guy that you want or need. So want and need were two different things. He said, you need somebody that's going to take care of what you need to have done. You know, whether it's, you know, organizing, whatever it was, you know, that was the guy. So I remember when I was a best man, you know, that that was a responsibility that I took on myself. And I thought, you know what, when he needs something, I'm going to take all the pressure off him so he has a great day. And that's what I did. And here's Christ doing the same thing. He says, the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. And he's full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. And Jesus says, that joy is mine. And it is now complete. Single or married, when we're under the covering of God, he calls us to be his bridegroom, right? He says his joy is complete when you're under there and you're attending and you're listening to him. Gosh, what a powerful thing. You know, 4,000 years ago and right now. That's why I love the Bible. It's so relevant. You know, people can call it a storybook. They can call it whatever they want. But it is God-breathed. And it is so relevant now, just as it was back then. So I'd like to have Kristen come up on stage. (laughs) See, she didn't know I was going to do this. So my sweetie pie is going to come up here. No, we're not going to announce twins. (laughs) That was Pat. Yeah. Most sinners would say something like that. (laughs) So, anyway, so, um, you know, I'm going to ask Kristen to come under here with me. And I I think it's really cool. Um, One of the books I was reading, one of the statements that they said was there were six billion people in the world. And most marriages, or a lot of marriages, and like six billion people in the world. And I chose you, you know, as opposed to six billion people in the world. I chose you, you know. So under God... Under this prayer shell. It's just linen. But it means so much, you know. I like to tell Kristen that I choose you. I choose you. And before God, I'll only follow Him. And I'll try to lead. Follow me. So I got her to cry. That's not that hard, though. I'll tell you that. So today, I would. Uh, I'd like to end right here and, and invite you guys to do this, to not let this chance pass. You know, we did the foot washing thing, and that was really cool. Um, and it, I didn't think people would come up and actually do it, you know. 
Um, I made Kristen do it. Not really. I just proposed that she would do it, and she did it, you know. Um, but whether you're, you're married or not, you know, we all need to renew our vows with God every day. You know, the covering that we place over our lives needs to be renewed every day to cover our sins that we continue to, to do or to be in. We need to renew it every day. It doesn't matter if you're married or you're single. This is between you and God. This is a covenant that you've already, you know, that you've chose to accept. His gift that's free. Um, it's a chance to do it publicly with all four walls open, you know, in front of your family and your friends. Um, I think this is a chance to, for purity. You know, your mind, your soul, and your body. So that's the invitation that I leave with you. And then just, just as, a, as a sidebar, you know, this is like the PG-13, uh, but it's really not. You know, it's been said that the act of sex without God's holy covenant is just mechanics, and there's no substance to it. It'll leave you empty. It'll leave you wore out. I think when we walk through our life, you know, with Christ, without, without that renewal, without acknowledging the covenant that he puts over us, that we can go through knowing who Jesus is, listening to the Holy Spirit, kind of, but being empty and just going through the mechanics of it. This isn't a mechanics thing. You know, a holy God loves you. I love the, one of the, I, I meant to put it down so I could butcher the Hebrew saying, but it, it, I'll just give you the English version. It, it says, my beloved, you are my beloved, and I am your beloved. And that's printed on the prayer shawl of just about every uh, wedding ceremony prayer shawl that there is. God says that you're his beloved. That he will love you no matter what you've done, who you are. Your status in life doesn't matter. He loved you because he loved you first. We, we don't love, we don't expect him to love us and then we love him, right? He loves us so powerfully, so completely. And that's why we love him, right? Yeah. So let's pray and then um, have John uh, maybe do a little thing. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy, Lord. We thank you for um, just your word. That something 4,000 years ago, Lord, can be so relevant now. That you're covenant placed and replaced by Jesus Christ 
is such a precious gift that we just need to cherish, Lord. And I just thank you. I thank you that you've that you've chose us. Out of six billion people in the world, you've chose us. That although you don't love us any more than you love the unsaved, gosh, it feels like it. And I thank you for opening our hearts and our minds to your word today. And I would pray that we would find the joy and the peace that passes all understanding, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.